Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose, a quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast, book, video, or mentor, as well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose. And finally, I'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose. So please take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message. Just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. We can't resist the circumstances expecting things to be different if we want to really maximize our resources to perform right now. Is where we really access the feeling of connection to a purpose. Help to light that fire for all of us to want to contribute to the greater good. Meet some of that pain with like the opportunity that I have to be running outside in New England right now. Just stop for a second and be so thankful that I have a dog and a fiance in my life that love me so deeply. My role is to be able to help serve others in some capacity. And whatever capacity that could be, I think it, it may be the most selfish goal we can have too, as ironically as a sound, because always feel better when serving others and contributing positively to other people's lives than if we're focused on making ourselves better. Dr. Ian Connell is committed to the pursuit of excellence as he seeks to connect, contribute, and create in small ways that can make the world a better place. He joined Dartmouth College as a Senior Associate Athletic Director for Peak Performance in August 2018. In this role, Dr. Connell oversees the development and implementation of programs and services designed to position student-athletes across 35 sports to achieve the highest levels of physical, intellectual, and personal growth during their Dartmouth careers. Specifically, he leads an interdisciplinary team of subject matter experts in strength and conditioning, sports psychology, sport nutrition, sport medicine, leadership development, academic counseling, and career and life skill development. Dr. Connell is also a partner with the mental training company Vision Pursuit, where he serves a wide range of individuals, teams, and organizations seeking to pursue excellence by helping them optimize their mental training. His consultations and speaking engagements allow him to teach lessons from sports psychology, mental training, mindfulness, and resilience to youth, college, and professional sports teams, corporations, and tactical athletes. His vision is a world where people of all fields and all walks of life 
are able to optimize their mindset, brain functioning, and psychological processes in order to live and perform with purpose and fulfillment. To achieve this vision, Vision Pursue has created a training program that is currently being used by the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball teams, hedge funds, insurance agencies, police departments, large corporations, schools, and universities. The training includes daily app-based practices that are available to the public through both Google and Android app stores by searching Vision Pursue. He's giving POP listeners a free 12-day trial and monthly discount if you sign up using the access code POP. P-O-P. Previously, Dr. Connell served as the Director of Sports Psychology with the Kansas State University Athletic Department, where he provided comprehensive mental training services for all varsity student-athletes, coaches, and teams. Dr. Connell holds a string of academic credentials as a former student-athlete at Skidmore College, who then earned a master's degree from Cal State Fullerton in Sports Psychology and Performance Enhancement, and both a master's degree in Community Counseling and a doctorate degree in Sport and Exercise Psychology from West Virginia University. He's also a member of the United States Olympic Committee Sports Psychology and Mental Training Registry. Getting to interview Ian was an amazing experience. He really is a role model of purpose in so many ways. Um, I just love how he comes at purpose through teaching and through consulting and through being just such a student of, of the process. He's very transparent and open about how he's gotten to where he is and what kind of failures have been along the way and how he finds mentors. And we talked about a whole array of things that I think are all um, fundamental aspects of coming into a more purposeful life. At the end, I really acknowledged him for several of these things that I think he does extremely well. Um, and one thing I want to highlight about our interview is the sense of community that um, he seeks to have around him. And I think that's something that we can really latch onto as a purpose-seeking community ourselves, is how we can find community and actual people um, in relationships that really influence our ability to live more purposefully um, and, and to do our best for the rest, as he says, um, which is another element that I really hope that you get from this interview is that it's really important that we have this social responsibility to rise ourselves to our potential in order to make the world a better place. Awesome stuff here, and I'm really excited for you to get a listen to this interview with Ian Canole. Hi, Ian. It's great to see you this morning. Hey, Tanner. It's great to be with you. Well, I'm very excited for this interview. I spent a lot of time preparing and got to watch an excellent TED Talk and look over some of the different programs that you've either created or designed. And I really wanted to get into also the um, one where you took the Kansas State Wildcats abroad um, Mm. to do some purposeful work there. Absolutely. Cats across continents. I wanted to start off with something I noticed in your TED Talk, though, that got me really excited. Um, you mentioned the story about John Wooden and putting on socks as a pathway to excellence. Would you be willing to share that story again? And we can use that to segue into your story. Absolutely. And I'm really excited to be here. And I think that's a great segment way because, you know, my mentor, the late Ken Revisa, probably the single most influential person in my career outside of my parents um, in my life outside of my parents always talked about there are no little things and I thought this story by um, John Wooden was a perfect example of it because John Wooden was one of the greatest teachers you know I, I look at sport as an avenue to teach just like any classroom on a campus but 
um, John Wooden spoke to his teams always first about how they put their socks on. And first you put on the sock slowly, you pull it up tightly, making sure there's no bunching to avoid blisters. Because when we avoid blisters, we maximize the amount of time we can spend on the court. We minimize the amount of time we're injured so we can maximize our opportunities to learn and grow and develop together. And so the idea was that we start simple. We start with the simplest thing of putting on a sock as then the pathway to becoming the best we can possibly be. And that lesson is something that's really, I think, stuck with me and was emphasized by Ken throughout my career is that there are no little things. The way we treat one moment is the way we treat all of them. And so thinking about how we can be really purposeful in this moment about making the absolute most out of it. Yeah, I love that. Um, why have you decided that excellence in performance is so key to having a meaningful life? Hmm. That's a great question. And I don't even know that it was an active decision as opposed to throughout my life realizing that the pursuit of excellence in the striving to either be great at something that we were doing or to just connect deeply with another person or to do something that really felt like it's last, last meaningful, making a lasting impact, um, ended up revolving around what I consider the pursuit of excellence. And it's that constant striving that I think does keep us on the edge of growing and challenging ourselves and learning and really um, brings meaning to whatever it is we choose to do. And I, you know, we can talk about whether it's John Wooden teaching people to pull up their socks or whether it was Martin Luther King talking about his street sweeper, you know, that there are no, um, tasks that are so small that if we don't bring purpose to them, they can become meaningful and they can become really an act of um, mindful experience, enjoyment in life of any kind, whether it's washing your hands, sweeping the street or dribbling a basketball. Uh, and I just happen to have the opportunity to spend a lot of time with, with athletes who've really focused on mastering a craft in sport. And so that has become a great avenue to talk about mastery, to talk about the pursuit of excellence. And in doing those things, I think we really do bring a lot of purpose and meaning to the things that we're doing um, by, by striving to get a little bit better each day and get a little bit more present and enjoy things a little bit more and bring more joy to the things we're doing. Yeah, definitely. I noticed so much of that myself, too. Like I had this terrible accident down a mountain at Yosemite National Park. And then I had another episode a few years later where I got concussion playing basketball. And those little things like have these bright spots to them where you start to appreciate how each little thing propels you forward in your day. And when you're doing each of those little things well, you're able to expand what you can do the next time. And as you're doing it, you feel appreciation and joy for being able to you know, make yourself food or walk to meet somebody that's special these little things become meaningful I, I really like that you've been able to focus in on that what do you mean by performance hmm. I know that you focus a lot on performance yeah that word has a lot of different connotations I think in society mm -hmm. could you clarify what you mean when you talk about performance yeah I think in a lot of ways I look at performance excellence as performing within a sport because that's where I've connected my field, you know, but when I think about performance as a whole, 
it's truly so much broader than that. It's the way we interact with another person as we're kind of seeking to teach, to learn, to grow. It's the way we may act as a parent, as a loved one, uh, as a teacher may teach, as a artist may paint. Um, it's not just to necessarily a sport performance or performing art, but I really see performance as very overarching, just the way that we present and bring ourselves to the present moment. Yeah. So you mentioned before we started recording that you had a, a funny story to share about your TEDx performance. Yeah. Uh, would you mind like sharing that experience? That was pretty funny. Absolutely. And yeah, at the time, it was not funny at all. I was very frustrated because... <laughs> I, I don't I don't often um, get very sick. I, I feel like I do a good job taking care of myself. I um, really believe that I can influence my, my health and, and I set myself up through sleeping well, eating well, taking good care of my body. And so there's a piece of me that starts to immediately beat myself up the moment I, I start coming down with something. Oh, what did I do that put me in this position? And I leading up to my TED Talk, I noticed that all of a sudden, the Friday before the Monday TED Talk, I, I had kind of a sore throat. And I woke up Saturday, I had a horrible headache. And then I started to get a fever on Sunday. And it was one of those where it's like this, immediately my initial reaction, this is the worst thing that could happen. This is so bad. <laughs> you don't normally get an opportunity like this. And now you're sick. And um, you must have been stressing too much. It really set yourself up for this. And it, in that moment, I was able to kind of like self-reflect and think, you know, this is the moment, you know, and this is my opportunity to overcome adversity and teach all these things that I work with athletes on to myself, to work in this moment on embracing however I feel and doing the best I can with what I have, you know, channeling my inner Michael Jordan flu game where his teammates carry him off the court into um, stepping out there to just give a 12 minute talk you know it's we can do anything we want with our attention for a short amount of time and so really just rallying my energy and it was the hardest i've ever had of working to actually bring energy to a talk of any kind um i i was consciously trying to enunciate trying to smile or bring any energy in the moment um but out there i was really able to kind of embrace it I think the quality of, of what I did lacked what I felt like I was capable of, but it was a hundred percent of what I was capable of that moment. Yeah. And so from that instance, I, I was happy to be able to kind of have that opportunity to practice what I preach in many cases. Oh, you were still successful. There was that one point where you had everyone clap once and then clap twice if they like wanted to embrace that change. Yeah. Or that mindset. And you got a hundred percent. It sounded like. Yeah. We had fun with it. Also, like what you just said reminds me of this quote um, where you said, I've learned that excellence is not about perfection or invulnerability, but the willingness and courage to feel whatever you feel and still go for it. Mm -hmm. And clearly you embrace this when you were you know, doing your flu game of a, of a TED Talk. Exactly. How did you first learn this for yourself? And yeah, why do you believe this? I, I think personally, I've always been a bit of a perfectionist and I think early on it was really eight easy to confuse achievement with um with with personal worth in many ways which kind of brought me to one of my other points i talked about which is um separate who you are from what you do 
I think it's really easy to tie those things together. And especially I find in society and especially men in society really have a, a weight put on them. And it's truly everybody, but I see a lot um, historically through um, male oriented work life balance or imbalance where that's, it's expected to work hard and then not do these other things. And therefore, work becomes who you are. And for me, um, there is a, a big piece of, you know, being a perfectionist, trying to achieve in everything and realizing that I, I wanted to feel good to perform well. And all the athletes I was working with then wanted to perform great all the time and feel great all the time. And we get into this idea that, well, we should also just be happy all the time. So now this all kind of comes together of trying to be perfect, expecting to be happy all the time, and then confusing our achievement with our identity or our worth, it can become a recipe for a disaster because the moment we don't feel good or we don't get the results we're looking for, now it's a self-reflection of who we are. And, and I, I felt that and I saw it um, mirrored through many other people. And so it became a lesson I think was powerful for all of us to realize that we can create that separation and just step up with whatever we have in this moment. And so for me, giving a TED Talk, it was if I was at 50%, I had the ability to give 100% of my 50. And for um, the ability to do that, we can't waste our energy and time resisting it. We can't resist the circumstances expecting things to be different if we want to really maximize our resources to perform right now. And that's something that Ken Revisa again taught me and I've seen um, work with thousands of athletes as they fully embrace whatever they're feeling, whether it's nerves, whether it's anger, whether it's, you know, um, just, you know, not feeling right or in the zone or, you know, hoping that everything was the way they wanted it to be, but really just, this is where I'm at in this moment. Now, what can I do to make the most of it? And a big piece of that is embracing all of the baggage, all of the stuff, and just stepping up and thinking right here, right now, what am I going to do about it? And removing the excess resistance to allow us to just be free to do what we can in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, you meant you outlined three keys to success in the TED Talk. You said separate who you are from what you do, be where your feet are, and bring your best to the rest. I love that. When you say be where your feet are, um, are you talking about um, kind of like finding present flow? What do you mean by that? Yeah, very much a present moment focus. Our ability to connect to right here, right now. And the beauty of that saying is that you know, if we, we look down, we check in, our feet are never in the future or the past. They're always right beneath us. They're always connected and grounded and centered in, in this moment. And so our mind is often in the present. I mean, often in the future, excuse me, or the past, anywhere but the present. Um, and so it can be a really great reminder to bring us back and bring our mind to the present. Yeah. And what role does being in the present have in accessing like a sense of purpose or meaning in life? Uh, I, I think it is where we really access the feeling of connection to a purpose or meaning of any kind. Uh, for me, 
it's it's that act of doing something meaningful in the present moment that is often most connected to purpose without a doubt yeah i agree with that um and then i really like this third point about bringing your best to the rest it almost seems like you're getting at some sort of responsibility that we each have to to be our become our best selves that there's some reason we do that for others could you talk about what you mean when you say bring your best to the rest yeah and and i like to use the word responsibility in there because I, I think it's gotten a really negative connotation is that in society it's oh you have to be responsible which means boring which means like it's a it's a parent trying to teach their kid a lesson uh as opposed to you know it, it is i almost look at as a social responsibility to help make the world a better place through connecting and contributing creating to the people around you and when we're failing to bring our best version of ourselves into the moment. So whether it's me sitting here on my phone distracted while trying to have a conversation with you, now devaluing our ability to share this moment, or whether it's um, an athlete choosing to make decisions that affect the team negatively, and then you know showing up thinking, oh, well, it's okay that I didn't sleep enough before this game or that I didn't prepare or practice, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'm only one person on this team. You know, really if our society functioned that way, if teams function that way and each person kind of just adds another element of social loafing, does a little less, cares a little less, then I think it's easy to devolve into now everything being less than what we're capable of and when we come back to that word of excellence you know i think a big piece of excellence is thinking about how we can inspire each other to be and do even more than what we think we are capable of and so within a team that's often you know how can we create an energy where other people want to be a part of it and they want to try harder do more and connect deeper because we can share something special that none of us could do individually. Right. And so it's that ability to really kind of think about doing it, not just for myself. I don't look at, you know, I want to be the best, you know, administrator, the best sports psychology consultant, the best anything just because I want fame or fortune or have this, this desire for feeding my ego. But I really feel a strong responsibility to become the best I can be for the people I have the opportunity to spend my life with. Yeah, that's so that, yeah, exactly is where I get at with that. Bring your best to the rest is that responsibility to grow in order to contribute to other people's lives. I'm really curious. You talked about um, kind of individualism in, I think I have, I've lived abroad. I lived in Thailand for two years, and then I'm also obviously an American. I find that our culture is very individualistic compared to most other places in the world. How, what like little avenues or um, kind of points of like exposure do you recommend people do to really learn that concept that, that they do have a responsibility to others? Their actions really do have an impact on those around them. How do you recommend people come to understand that um, and really value that internally when when we're so individualistic in our society. Wow, that's a really great great question. I 
I think of a few different things. First, I think through being able to reflect on the people who've influenced our lives. I think very few of us are here on our own two feet and nothing else. You know, that there, I can look back in my life and have such incredible people who I've learned from to help me get here. And so it's truly a unified effort. And, you know, when we look at um, teams in their nature, there is an automatic reliance on, on others. And then when we look at any group that we're a part of, and when we look at our ability to make an impact in people's lives, you know, you, you brought this up earlier, um, but the Cats Cross Continents trip that um, I was able to participate in and help facilitate when I was at K-State provided one of those perfect avenues for us at K-State where we brought a group of student athletes down to Nicaragua to help build a sports court in a really poor rural community. And the value of getting out of our individualistic society for a moment and seeing how much people in this community did rely on each other and then how much our ability to come there to connect with them impacted their lives and how much they impacted us. You know, we, we went down there, this idea of like, we are serving them. It, everyone that I knew who went on that trip gained more out of this than anyone who was in that community because they gained something physical. They gained this, this court. There were many people who were there who did gain exposure to someone from a different culture. So the various cultures that were kind of represented through our K-State community that went there. Um, but then they also really impacted us in a very, I found, meaningful way by allowing us to see um, what it means to um, be, be a part of something that's greater than ourselves. Uh, be able to literally, no one person on our trip could have um, done what we were trying to do without this immense reliance on dozens of community members, a contractor who was there helping us um, set up the equipment so we could mix cement, um, a trip guide, a family who actually housed us. So we were able to lay cots down and sleep under mosquito nets on their floors. And being able to step out of our world into this experience for a week really allowed us to come back with such a had a renewed perspective on life that immediately shook us from that me, myself, I individualism that tends to kind of per permeate a lot of um, what we see in the media and pop culture, at least in kind of Western society. Yeah, I love that. I love how you talk about a perspective shift. I think that's what it really takes is like seeing the world through the eyes of another person. Um, and then once you kind of can develop that empathy through the perspective shift, um, I think you start to understand why, why you matter to them and why they matter to you and why we're all connected in this experience of life. Very well said. How did this impact your sense of purpose and meaning to, to facilitate this trip and to experience it and to see others' experiences? What, what did you take away as like some, some way that you could be more influential or like, 
some way that you could you know better experience purpose in your life each day i think the thing that it most emphasized to me was the power of community and i i've been a part of some really incredible communities um at k-state um our our group of vision pursue uh and then now at dartmouth as well as a really close-knit um family community that i grew up in and friend community and i i've had these incredible opportunities that i know not everyone has and for me it was about now how do we both create that perspective shift and create a sense of community in places wherever we are and at dartmouth right now that's one of my missions is to help engage in deeper more meaningful community building where we can without necessarily having to travel thousands of miles uh, be able to have our own experience of the value of community and shifting our perspectives away from me and my to-do list to us and what we can be doing together what makes a powerful wonderful great community in your opinion got some good questions today i think my opinion is only one of many in that setting I'm just curious. I I didn't plan on this question, but I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's super important to, to plant yourself in a community that those, the people around you, what you're doing each day really influences who you're becoming. Absolutely. I want to know like your opinion of you know, what is a good community. I, I think in a lot of senses, it's that ability to be ourselves and then the ability to value others for who they are. So we, we have individuals who are able to, you know, in that sense, bring your best to the rest, right? Show up as they are, but have elements that are tied together that help to help to light that fire for all of us to want to contribute to the greater good. And so it being more than just about me and myself, but about us. And, and I think that there's, there are some shared beliefs or values that can often help bring people together in that, but then not allowing it to be built solely on a set of beliefs or values that then devalue others. Because it's human nature to then create in groups and out groups. And so immediately if we start to build our community, you know, in college sports, it's very easy to see this, that, you know, now, we have our school colors and our teams and we're so much better and different than every other school and all of their colors and their teams. And, and so it's easy to then make this like a kind of we're building ourselves up and putting others down as a, as opposed to, you know, how are we able to do both in terms of truly value the people that we're able to bring together, but set it on a stance of we're we're in this because of everyone else as well. And that that's a hard balance when then you do step out on the field and you're competing against someone else. Yeah, I was gonna ask how that how that functions with competition. Yeah, I I think, you know, there there's some coaches like Phil Jackson that have done a really good job of explaining how the, how they really try to bring thanks to the other opponent um, for making them better. Uh, and giving them that opportunity to compete at a high level and wishing the opponent 
the best that they could possibly bring that day because that's the only way we're able to get to our best that we could possibly bring that day. But I think it's very challenging to, within a very competitive environment, to truly take a step back and think about the opportunity we have to compete and how it's only there based on the quote unquote opponent, right? The, the people across the line from us. And so it, it becomes more of a focus on the divisiveness of us against them. And we, we inherently have this opportunity. And so therefore it's now our job to beat them while we're here. But that balance that I, I come back to, whether it's um, Greg Popovich or Phil Jackson, who've, who both really truly thank the opponents for, you know, and talk them up in terms of the better quality that they perform, the better players they're able to bring, the more we have to raise our level. The more, the more that becomes a mirror of what we are able to do in this moment. And, and I think that we have a long way to go in finding and striking a good balance there. But part of that's what I love about sports is that so many of the things that we inherently see as a paradox and it, these two things can exist become the best opportunities for us to move away from kind of this dualistic version of there's only two answers. It's either we, we cooperate or we compete or, and we move into like, okay, what is more of more of a um, variation where we, we have multiple different um, options that can coexist at the same time. And it's, it's really not either or, it's both and. And now let's, let's find a way to use that to bring the best of ourselves and to try to bring out the best in others. Yeah, speaking of this whole like individual versus team and also like competitive versus collaborative, I'm reminded of uh, how the Golden State Warriors just won the sports person of the year. Hmm. I find that pretty interesting that they named a team the person of the year. Yeah, that's fascinating. What What are your thoughts on that? Did you get to read about that? I didn't know that actually. Um, that's That's really cool, though. Um, I I think it certainly you know fits within um, part of their value set. It, you know, I I'm gonna butcher it now, but I remember you know Steve Kerr talking about their four pillars being something related to mindfulness. Um, competitiveness, joy, and a fourth one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a piece of it coming back to values that um, really unite us that help to break down that kind of idea that one person is the greatest or above others. And I, I think that that's a, it's a pretty cool example of it to find. Yeah. So yeah, how do you, once you become really great at something, you become the best at that thing and you're doing it for those right reasons, like being responsible for, for others to also rise to their best. What do you do to check yourself, to maintain humility? How do you make sure that this doesn't become about your ego? Yeah. Are there any safeguards you would recommend or how do you go about that? Well, personally, I've never faced that one. So <laughs> when I work with athletes who I do think there, there is this kind of story that gets built through some athletes' careers. And I've, I've had incredible opportunities to learn from athletes and coaches who've really 
been the underdogs and been seen as, you know, this person never is going to have a chance and they work harder and they find alternative routes. And then I think there are others that have this very different path that have been told since the moment they've started playing their sport based on their size and athleticism. And then they get the best coaching all along the way. And they're just told how special they are and how unique they are and how great they are. And I, I think it really does a disservice when we reinforce that fixed mindset of, you know, this is about you and your talent as opposed to about the work, the energy, the effort that you're able to put in. And it can build some enormous egos. I, I find across the board, regardless of the size of the egos, we, we all kind of have some of the same basic human needs. And so to me, it's about just connecting um, at, at our basic needs and then being able to separate that if you can, if you really want to bring this, you know, I am the greatest Muhammad Ali, you know, mentality onto the court, how can we put that on with a Jersey and then take it off when we step off? So it doesn't permeate our entire lives. And a big, a big piece of that is being able to reflect with gratitude being able to honestly look at the areas that we need to improve. And when we can identify really clearly things that we can be doing better at, when we can have open and direct conversations with people that matter to us in our lives, I think it's much harder um, to have egos that big. And many of the professional athletes I've had the opportunity to spend time with will be the first ones to tell you that once you have kids, it also becomes a major factor because no matter what you do out there, you go home and your, your kids still like, no, you're not the greatest anything. You're just dad, right? You're your mom, you, you know, like you still need to do this for me, you know, or I, I can still say no to you a dozen times. It doesn't matter um, how much money you make. And so I think family really helps to um, check the ego at times as well. Yeah, I love that. You mentioned reflecting with gratitude. Um, I, I think that's extremely important. That's one of, like, I think I would consider to be my top keys to success or I would recommend to people. Um, it has so many other benefits once you do that. What does what your gratitude reflection practice look like? How do you reflect with gratitude? I have I have a couple of different things. So on a daily basis, it, it isn't formal. You know, I, I try to meditate on a daily basis, but I found that there I will have a yearly or several times a year where I, I will sit down and really work through long reflections and I'll write letters to some of the people who really influenced me. Um I, I may use their birthdays or holidays as times to really help cue um, much longer, I think more personal, meaningful, um, deep reflections. And then on, on a daily basis, I just work to bring gratitude to the things that I'm experiencing. So when I have the opportunity to go for a run, realizing that even as I'm out there and all of a sudden it starts hurting and the air is really cold and I'm breathing it in and I feel, you know, like the pain that's kind of tingling through my muscles, being able to just in those moments, like meet some of that pain with like the opportunity that I have to be running outside in New England right now. 
and and then being able to you know sit there in the moment of frustration because my dog isn't listening to me or because I had a disagreement with my fiance um, being able to even in those moments just stop for a second and be so thankful that I have a dog and a fiance in my life that love me so deeply right that it though I use gratitude as that perspective shift on a very regular basis and it's it started a bit more formally but at this point it's become completely kind of natural and organic throughout the course of my day yeah yeah why do you think it has become more natural and organic is it because you had it as a habit and in practice first yeah i think without a doubt i think it came from kind of habit i i couldn't tell you a hundred percent um i i had some formal um version of it initially but um, it's, it's really stuck. I, and I think more than anything, because it, those neural pathways are created and can't be undone. And the, because that, that's just the way my brain works really naturally now. And, and I could not be more appreciative of that, that it becomes really easy for me to, to see the things in the world that are there to be grateful of. And I do other things to keep it from shifting the other way. Like, when I choose to take in my news information and um, when not, and being able to kind of set that up in a way that it's not just a flow throughout the course of the day. I'm really um, specific about social media times and news times in my life, just because I find that that stuff can really clutter my mind. And the more cluttered my mind is, the less optimally I perform, but then I think the less naturally I'm able to just see the good in life and be really appreciative for um, the things in my life as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think you mentioned, um, that you say the best part of your job is seeing growth in others. Why is that the best part? And what, what role does that play in fulfilling or achieving your sense of purpose? Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of many amazing things about my work. And, um, I, I love seeing people, um, achieve their goals or just be more satisfied in their lives as a whole, um, be able to do things that they didn't think that they could do, be able to grow in kind of being more psychologically flexible about the way that they look at things, about the way that they experience the world around them. And that, that contribution to others has been something that's really driven me <clears throat> personally and professionally. Um, I, I, I feel like, you know, my role is to be able to help serve others in some capacity and whatever capacity that could be. I think um, it, it may be the most selfish goal we can have too, as ironically as a sound, because we always feel better when serving others and contributing positively to other people's lives than if we're focused on making ourselves better or making like getting more, you know, achieving more in a very kind of personal individualistic sense. So whether it's just the fact that I, I feel great from helping others or that I genuinely see their growth and that inspires me to then continue, um, it's certainly been a, um, a process that I've thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, I love that. That was a well, well said quote, too, that you just had right there. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to like really think about that more and more. You also mentioned this concept of being psychologically flexible. That's, um, 
I think that that's like an enormous aspect of, of learning and growth too. It takes being a lifelong learner and being an adaptable, open-minded person. Um, what do you think that you are doing right now to be psychologically flexible? Hmm. I, I really try to reflect a lot more than I used to. I used to jump into action really quickly and I wasn't great at planning, preparing and reflecting around that. I would do enough preparation to be able to feel like I could execute well, but I couldn't tell you why I executed in that capacity or whether that in the end was the best way to do something. And so what I've really worked to do is add um, more purposeful reflection. And so this time of year for many people around the new year is a time of a lot more reflection. And I've been able to use this kind of reflect on my first term at Dartmouth and to be able to look at um, the things that are going really well and the things that we can be doing better. And then I'm being able to look at, okay, my process in here. So when I interact with, with my staff, what are the things that I found work really productively? How, are I, how am I putting them in position to really maximize their strengths? What am I doing that's because of my own personal biases that I'm bringing into this, that I think this is the way things should be? And maybe, maybe that, is, that is the best approach, but am I doing it because it's what's natural to me or what my bias is or because it's what's best for the situation? And then I try to really create an atmosphere um, where others feel really welcome to challenge things. I, mean, I, I know um, we, we've had opportunity to um, interact with um, Ray Dalio with Vision Pursue, um, connected him with a couple of the head coaches, Eric Spolstra and Dan Quinn that we work with. And he wrote a book, Principles. And Ray Dalio is this. That is on my to read list. Like. Very near future. Yeah, I want to read that. There you go. It's really good. It's fascinating. And he has a fascinating TED Talk as well. And the culture he's created, he calls, he bases it on radical transparency. He calls it an idea meritocracy. Is that the, the best ideas win. And there's, there's kind of caveats within it that just because someone um, is a 24-year-old intern and he's a 60-year-old CEO, they both have an opinion. They may not hold the exact same amount of weight, but they want to make sure to allow for each of those opinions to be open and to each person to be able to be challenged. And one of the most beautiful things I think that Ray's really done in his life is truly embraced feedback of any kind and put himself out there. And I, my favorite moment in his TED Talk is he, he puts up a video uh, of image of an email that he received in which one of his, um, one of the guys in his company said, you know, you receive a D minus for your performance in today's meeting and gave all these reasons why. So he said, after I received that, I sent it out to the whole company because they need to know this. And he looks at it, isn't this great? And everyone in the audience laughs and look at like, we would all be so uncomfortable doing that and putting our dirty laundry out there like that. But for him, he's fully truly embraced that type of feedback that that's something that I really hope to create in the environment that we're building together at Dartmouth, where we can receive and give feedback in a very open and honest way 
that allows us to challenge the way that we go about things most naturally and to be able to look at what's really helping us serve our student athletes to the best of our ability. Yeah. I love that. No, like that's been perhaps the most influential aspect of my growth this last year as a, I'm in a master's degree program and I'm teaching and the school I'm teaching at is like very difficult. A lot of the students come from a background that's causes them to not be able to be so fully focused and present in the classroom because of the, the culture around them. Um, and I have all these ideas of like how school should be based on like how mine was and like how I grew up in a school that was like really good at everything. And I got to go to good colleges because of it and such, but like bringing those ideas into this place doesn't match, you know, where they're coming from. I really like how you talk about how it takes the feedback. Cause that's what it's taken from me is like people above me telling me like, you're doing things wrong. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it makes you uncomfortable and it's painful to hear. Oh my gosh. Right. You feel it, don't you? Causes like some doubt about your abilities. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I think that being able to kind of back to one of our first points, even fully embrace the fact that our mind is going to resist feedback. Like that's the way it is. It's okay. You know, when someone criticizes us specifically, you know, we naturally have this like, no, <laughs> right? This, this like, I'm right, stay away, or... I don't need to hear this. I've been just okay. I've been okay this far in my life. I don't need whatever it is, even when we say that we want it. And a lot of, I think, people in this world, like, genuinely believe that they want it, but then they react in ways that show that they really don't want it as soon as people try to give them feedback. And I think that that's completely natural. I think most of us, maybe not Ray Dalio, because at this point he's been doing it long enough that I think his natural reaction has changed. But for me, my natural reaction when I receive criticism is still a little bit of a pit in the stomach. It's a little bit of this like lean back, okay, bar myself. I don't know where this person's coming from. I don't know if this is really useful. Um, Who are they to say this or that? And so when I embrace the fact that that's gonna come, it's gonna be there, I'm not surprised by it, first of all. So then I can kind of push through it and lean into it that, yeah, that's there. That means there could be something really meaningful here. It could be a new opportunity to see something in a different light, to experience something that can help me be that much better and help me do what I'm doing better for all the people around me. And that process, I I think, is incredibly hard and incredibly powerful for us to continue to grow and improve in whatever we do. That makes me think like, if you're not 100% ready to embrace that, how do, you, how do you get yourself in a position where you're leading others, you're leading a culture towards wanting to embrace that? Like, do you just have to like act your way into it until you're there? I don't know if anyone's ever 100% there. I think it's a really natural thing. And I, part of that is being able to be vulnerable and saying like, of course I have this, this re- response. And I would expect everyone that I'm giving feedback to as well. So just because you may feel this or I may feel this when you give it to me doesn't mean I want you to stop giving me the feedback. And then I think a big piece is the way we respond to then receiving the feedback that actually helps to either open the door for people to be able to share it again or kind of demonstrates that, yeah, I said I wanted feedback, but I'm really kind of trying to shut you down now that you say it so you don't want to do it again. 
And so it's that next piece that I think is where, you know, I think we can really help to create a culture is that we model it and we demonstrate it and that we don't have to feel like, yes, this has helped me immediately, or yes, I really shouldn't have any emotion. We're human. We have an emotion. And so rather than resisting it, I, I really do think it's opening up to it, meeting ourselves where we're at, meeting other people where we're at, and then being able to kind of keep in mind like the actual purpose behind it, you know, the intent behind it, that we're setting up um, something that there is an intent of helping all of us get better and, and becoming better collectively. As a listener of People of Purpose, you can now get started with the Vision Pursuit app for a discounted rate by inputting the special access code POPVP. That's P-O-P-V-P. This is a 60-day program that will allow your life to be transformed by refining your vision. In Vision Pursuit, you'll have three things to do each day, and once you finish a day, it will automatically move you to the next day through the 60-day program. Sign up now through our promo code POPVP and get the first 16 days free. If you don't like it in the first 16 days, you're free to cancel with no charge. For less than $20, you will have a daily coach, accountability, and a vision like you've never had before. So give it a go. So now I wanted to talk about your Vision Pursue project. Um, You just talked about intent and action and modeling a life that is based on those purposes. It seems like your project has a lot of those elements and it draws in characters from all these different areas. Like Ray Dalio is not in sports, right? but you're, but, and then you're also like Dan Quinn is very much in sports. And I know on my podcast with Russ Roush, we talked a lot about how um, the Falcons have really embraced this and people like Pete Carroll as well, really embrace a lot of your philosophies. Um, could you just go through what is vision pursue and then how does that help people accomplish like, a greater sense of their purpose? Absolutely. So Vision Pursue is a company that um, we've created around kind of the concepts of mental training and neuroplasticity to help people um, have a greater experience of life. You know, we, we were asking a lot of folks, whether it's in the sport or the business world, um, in education, other places, you know, to describe your life experience and found that roughly 80% of them um, we're reporting that it's a stressful means to an end, or we're trying to escape from it, which left 20% or so um, that we're actually alive and engaged in what we're doing. And that's really no way to live. And it's not a good recipe for um, human performance, for optimal living or well-being of any kind. And so there's a lot of thinking patterns or, that are around that. And some of the th- stuff we've talked to about today related to kind of being able to embrace our emotions or be able to shift our perspectives and become a little more psychologically flexible are built within kind of these, these practices. So um, as a company, we build a training we go around, we do corporate or sport team trainings. Um, we also have an app that facilitates that. And so anyone can do daily practices on the app that really help to maximize our life experience through addressing our cognitive skills. So we integrate mindfulness meditation and cognitive and mental skill training um, in a kind of systematic way that, you know, you you spend about 15 minutes a day and you're going to do an activity of some kind um, that kind of brings some of these practices into your daily life. You'll have a meditation or mindfulness activity of some kind. 
and then um, a message that kind of reinforces a concept or shares a story like Martin Luther King's Street Sweeper and challenges us to think about how we can then, <clears throat> excuse me, um, apply that in our everyday living. Yeah, I love that. How do people get involved in that if they wanted to start and they're not part of a, you know, a sports team or some, some big high performance sort of pr project? So visionpursue.com has all of our information on it, but anyone can download um, the Vision Pursue app, V-I-S-I-O-N-P-U-R-S-U-E. So you can find it on Apple or Android, Google App Stores. And for, for your podcast listeners, uh, we, we did a discount where you can um, get $2 off per month. Um, so anyone can just type in the access code POP. So all, all uppercase POP um, gives you kind of uh, $8 a month um, access. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, yeah, that was great. I, I'm about to start it too myself. I haven't been able to start yet, which is silly. Um, I'm going to start it. It's like my new year's resolution is to get started with awesome mine. And then um, hopefully I'll be able to do an episode all about how it's helped me grow. Perfect. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. I'm excited for the beginnings of a great partnership. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm also really, really interested in your educational journey. Um, I consider myself very influenced by education and schooling. And I know that right now in the current climate, there's a lot of reason to not be so hyped on paying thousands of dollars and going into debt and taking on all these different degrees and such when they're not so aimed at a specific objective. You've earned two master's degrees. One was in counseling, another in sports psychology and performance enhancement. You went to two different schools for that. Then you did a PhD in sport and exercise psychology. Um, you've been like a college counselor and then you went to K-State and started that program. Now you're at Dartmouth. How have you made, how has like purpose influenced these educational and career decisions? Yeah, I think for me, a lot of it comes back to wanting to be able to find the best way I can serve others and wanting to learn and grow in that process. And I've had incredible mentors along the way that have really helped to guide me to figuring out what that path could look like. Um, when I was at Skidmore College, I was really interested in um, the human mind and psychology, but I wasn't as interested in the pathology as I was what we could be doing to live, everyone could be doing to live our lives in a more meaningful and joyous way. And I didn't know sports psychology was a thing until um, we had a sports psychologist come in and um, give a presentation to our women's basketball team. And I was on, on the men's basketball team and heard um, through the grapevine that he existed and when picked his brain, um, really learned uh, kind of the side of psychology that's related to human performance and optimizing um, human performance. And um, that really took me down a fantastic journey. I coached um, and directed sports camps for a year, kind of thinking um, about how the stuff that I had started to learn in sports psychology can really influence the young developing minds, especially, and youth athletes and how we can help people on a, a really broad scale and had a amazing phone call with Ken Revisa that 
convinced me to move out to California, which really wasn't that hard to convince me once I made it out to the California coast as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, really, um, that was probably the best academic decision I could have made because it allowed me to follow him all over Southern California for two years and observe really a master in his teaching and working with um, sports teams and athletes. And um, then at that point, I felt like I had a really good base, but to be able to work within the college environment, I felt like there is a lot more to learn. And so that, that brought me to West Virginia University, which has one of the best sport and exercise psychology programs there is out there. They had incredible um, staff, really between Cal State Fullerton and West Virginia, there were the most um, people that I could be learning from anywhere I could go. So there were several other um, graduate programs that may have one or two professors in sports psychology, but I had a handful at both. And whether that's, you know, Ed Etzel or Jack Watson or Vanessa Shannon or Damian Clement or Sam Zizzi, like this team of faculty at West Virginia really helped to show me a lot of different ways to go about um, teaching sports psychology, a lot of ways to um, grow as a professional, as a writer, as a speaker, as, as a consultant, and really gave me a lot more knowledge base to be able to pull from to figure out um, what's going to make the greatest impact. And um, then how to think about things even from a research perspective. And so I, I actually did an assistantship where I taught online classes for um, at West Virginia University. And I was really intrigued by it because I see the education's going that way. And there's a lot of online um, education these days. And I felt like we were able to have some really good interactions. And I, I got some feedback that, you know, we were, these, this was one of the best classes they'd ever had. And I was reflecting on my educational experience and I was like, oh, so much of what I learned wasn't in the classroom though. And that's literally all we have is we're isolated to these moments that we're interacting online. And um, I, I really um, felt for them in a sense, uh, I want to think like, how can we create more of a community and more of a mentor relationship, which were the things that I benefited most from being a part of incredible communities at Cal State Fullerton, at Skidmore College, and at West Virginia University. And so that's been something that has really kind of permeated through it is I've had that opportunity, like I'd mentioned earlier, to be a part of powerful communities. And that has influenced me as much as anything to want to take this kind of education and put it into use and in helping to create meaningful communities elsewhere. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, I got a lot of curiosities from what you just said. Ken Revisa, um, he was a name. I actually never had heard of him until my podcast. Um, one of our recent guests, uh, Darnell McDonald, he played for the Boston Red Sox. Now he's a mental skills coordinator for the Chicago Cubs. You know him? I do. Yeah, he was a guest on my podcast recently. Um, and he also said Ken Revisa was his greatest mentor. What is it about Ken that you find so um, attractive? Um, as a mentor. Yeah. So Ken was a dynamic human being as a whole, just a, a guy who could light up a room with his smile and with his jokes and um, really um, a caring person. But I think what, what really 
as a mentor, what set him apart from a lot of others and as a practitioner was his ability to take um, science and theory and practice and turn it into fun, enjoyable stories, exercises, and really the art of teaching is what I see as. And so the art of sports psychology and mental skills training, and it really made it practical in the moment, very kind of task focused. So with an athlete, he might have them, you know, standing in front of the room and holding a baseball bat as opposed to sitting in a chair reading a book. And he could dissect any aspect of it. He was incredibly observant, but he was just so giving of himself and his time that any of us who were really seeking to learn and spend um, time with him had that opportunity. So some of my fondest memories are sitting at his house, actually painting deck chairs with him. And we would just talk about life for hours as we painted his deck or his chairs on the deck. Um, and he has stories like that from um, individuals from all over. One of my um, good friends, J.F. Menard, who um, at that time was working for as a sports psychology consultant for Cirque du Soleil, was traveling through L.A. And so he reached out to Ken and said, I'm going to be in the area. Would you be willing to meet up? And Ken had never taught him, didn't have um, any responsibility to him. He said, well, where are you staying? He's like, well, I was going to get a hotel. He's like, don't get a hotel. You're staying with me. And he, he takes in JF and JF stays at his house and sits in the hot tub with him for four hours and just talks. And so like, it was, it was that real giving nature um, and his ability to care, but then connect it in such fun and tangible ways that really made such an influence on the people who got to spend time in his life. That's awesome. So I have, a, I have a lot of people now that are kind of, coming to me and asking about how their life can be better and such like this, because I host this podcast and now I'm supposed to know a lot. Um, how do you recommend people to find mentors? That's some, that's a question that I can't quite answer for them. Cause to me, it seems like it happens organically by expressing like what you're after and um, getting people to buy into you as like someone that wants to learn and then having these long conversations and, and checking in like how do you recommend like what's the path to finding mentors that are aligned with like what you're looking for yeah i think there are probably others who may have a much better answer than i i feel like i've been on both sides of it but i've also fallen into some incredible mentorship uh, but I, a big piece to me is to be able to find someone that you really connect with and that you can help contribute to first you know i you know I painted the deck chairs with Ken because I could actually help paint his deck chairs. You know, that's a little thing. Anyone could have helped paint his deck chairs, but not anyone is willing to go and paint his deck chairs. And I think it was those things that then he, he met with um, kindness and reached back out in kind. And so I've had um, students that I've worked with over the years that many of them really just wanted to be available and help support me in whichever role I was in any way that they could. And they, they showed up, they were dedicated, they were kind, they were caring, they were interested in what we were doing, but they had kind of a thirst for learning that then I find contagious and I want to feed, but they wouldn't just come like looking to necessarily just learn from me. They would bring ideas to the table and 
what about this? And, you know, if, if I found someone that was really challenging me with great ideas or bringing things up that I hadn't heard of and really tying things together, you know, of course I want to be around that person. I want to help that person be successful because, you know, it's just a joyous experience for both of us. I guess like I'm interested in how these mentors have developed you into kind of who you are today. And I want to just like kind of run down some general questions about purpose and your ideas about them. Maybe you could answer them Perfect. fairly quickly so we can get through several of them. Let's do it. What's one thing you've unlearned to find purpose? I think having to have all the answers. Cool. <laughs> Um, what's the lesson on purpose that took you the longest to learn? Not needing to have all the answers probably. Um, but, but really I think <laughs> being able to help separate who I am from what I do, you know, and I, it's still something that I, um, challenge myself with on a regular basis, because if I notice that I'm in a foul mood, I can often place it back to thinking that I am supposed to be really good at everything that I'm doing and that I can just stop and accept things as they are and I, everything will be better. Right. Cool. And what risk have you had to take to come into a greater sense of your purpose? Was there a time you really felt like, oh man, this, this might not be worth it. I might fail at this too much. Yeah. I think for, for me being able to leave the academic environment at K-State, go all in with Vision Pursue um, was, was a big risk that really allowed me to help find a lot of things professionally that I was looking for too, and figure out a greater array of ways that I can connect, contribute and create in a really meaningful way. Um, what do you mean by go all in at Vision Pursue? Like it's much more than just an app, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I left, um, Kansas State University working for the athletic department, in November, 2017, and worked full time for a startup with the four of us um, who um, really were the partners at Vision Pursue um, to try to um, help scale our training, our app, um, and be able to spread the messages that we really think can help make the world a better place. And so leaving a steady paycheck with benefits and knowing exactly what I was getting um, to step into as I said, go all in division pursue and very much the unknown, but on the fact that I really believed in what we were doing. Uh, and that, that was, um, I think the, a big risk that really, um, impacted me in a positive way. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so great. Um, how is a failure or an apparent failure directed to you into a greater sense of your purpose? I, I have one, um, memory of laying on my back, watching my competitors finish a 300 meter hurdle race that has always stuck out in my mind um, as, as a time where I looked at, you know, skill and my ability without the need to prepare and to um, embrace however I was and perform my best. I used to self-handicap and make up all the excuses. So I would, you know, for why I might not do as well. And then I would seem incredible when I did it against all odds. And really, I was just setting up a lot of barriers. Um, but that moment has always been a powerful learning lesson for me to be able to like think of this vivid experience of feeling my back against the track and watching my competitors finish as I laid on the track because I made excuses. I didn't prepare well. 
And it was a very kind of, it was all about me at that point, as many teenage men can relate to. But it, it helps to provide a, a great perspective shift. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. Um, how has living according to your purpose had a tremendously positive impact on another person's life? I normally think of the impacts that others have had on my life much more, but I've, I've been pretty fortunate to have um, several student athletes I've worked with and I won't necessarily name by name, but um, send text messages and emails and whatever it is long after they've graduated and talk about um, just how much the things that we worked on and their ability to develop their mental skills and how much those have carried over into their, all of their lives and their ability to be present in a relationship and their ability to excel on a job interview and their ability to apply these, these things in these quote unquote performances in all these sorts of other areas of life. I think that that's the stuff that I always come back to is, you know, the reminder, if I didn't remember on a day-to-day basis, those are the days where it's easy to step back to, this is why I do what I do. Yeah. Okay. And then finish this sentence. It's important we each find and live out our life's purpose because. I don't know if I have an eloquent way of saying it, but it's because I think we owe it to the world. I think we owe it to each other to bring our best to the rest in that sense. And so it comes back to, because it's our ability to contribute in a meaningful way to the people around us. So there's three answers to your, <laughs> your, one, your one question that all say the same thing. That was great. Um, and then what's one thing that you believe that others may think is crazy or insane? I believe that the world is a really amazing place and that there are a lot of really good people and that even most bad people have a reason for why they're doing what they're doing in some way. And it's up to us to try to understand it so we can get to the root of it. Cool. And then how do you see your purpose evolving over the next decade? I'm not sure yet. Right. <laughs> I, I, I know without a doubt that it will. And for me, it's already moved from helping to connect an individual to their ability to develop their mental skills to now how do we create communities and environments that foster that development. And so that's where I imagine it's going to continue to evolve is the creating and fostering communities and environments that help others grow. Yeah. And then could you finish with talking about your new position um, and role with Dartmouth and then how that maybe would be influencing your purpose and how Vision Pursue kind of combines with that? What are, What's your vision with, with pursuing Vision Pursue? Perfect. Um, yeah, I, I have this fantastic opportunity now where um, spending time with both Vision Pursue and Dartmouth, but um, at Dartmouth, I'm the Senior Associate Athletic Director for Peak Performance. So it's a long title to say that I get to sit in a room with some of the the best specialists um, on our staff to be able to help develop our student athletes, really focus on holistic development and creating um, environments for their success. So on my staff, we have um, specialists in sports psychology, sport nutrition, leadership development, academic counseling, career development, strength and conditioning, and athletic training. So really looking at the whole person and how are we creating that opportunity for the student athletes at Dartmouth to to really thrive. And so that's been uh, an incredible challenge. I 
had the opportunity to come in this fall when um, they were all rolling. So they, they just got to do what they're doing and I got to hang out because my predecessor had left about six months prior to take an AD position um, elsewhere. And they, they had to plug all the gaps and do all the work without him. And so once I got there, there wasn't a ton on my plate, so I got to hang back. Not that it didn't keep me from working oh, quite a bit, but it really provided me an opportunity I think very few leaders get to step in and see the way things are working without doing anything um, to influence it. And now we get to really work together to figure out what the direction we're heading and what are the ways that we can um, create and optimize our environment even more and the ways that we can really be more productive in the work that we're doing to better influence um, the development of our teams, our coaches and our student athletes. And so um, I, I certainly imagine there being a strong role um, between um, Vision Pursue and Dartmouth Athletics in the future as well. And thinking about, you know, everything that we built in Vision Pursue um, is stuff that can be applied across any environment, especially within a college athletic environment, being able to think about how we really proactively develop mental skills, I think is the next wave to really um, creating a rising tide. Um, there was just a great article that um, NACTA, the National Athletic Collegiate or Collegiate Directors Association um, put out that talked about um, our vision pursue work at Alabama. And they call it a rising tide of mental wellness. And so Russ was interviewed for that and really looking at how are we creating a rising tide? Because we do have um, a lot of places that are the mental wellness is on the decrease and mental illness is on the increase. And um, I think we need to both be treating um, mental health issues in a really productive way and being able to look at um, how we're meeting the needs, both with college counseling centers, with community su support, having personnel there to help be present, but then also how are we really scaling this by teaching skills for resiliency? teaching mindfulness-based skills, teaching cognitive and mental skills that can help all people be able to roll with all of life in a more healthy and um, stable capacity. And, and that's really what my hope is that we're able to do at Dartmouth is to be able to integrate some of those things in a way that help to really rise the, raise the tide of mental wellness across the board. Wow, excellent. Yeah, I, I want to acknowledge how you really stand by these things that you teach. Um, you're practicing them in your daily life. And it's super inspiring to me to see that you are separating who you are from what you do and you're being where your feet are and you're, fight, you're bringing your best to the rest. Um, I'm really excited to see what's ahead. I think you are you're young in your journey um, and the frontier is wide open for you to take um, all of this um, mental wellness you've created in yourself and in your student athletes and with Vision Pursue and really scale this, like you said. I think that um, you have everything in place to be able to take risks when necessary, to be psychologically flexible, to be an open-minded leader, um, and you have an ability to convey your ideas in a way that people um, latch on to. Um, and then you also seem very open to feedback. Um, and I'm sure you're only going to get better at these things the more you continue to um, practice and make these things habits and find the gratitude in it all. So I'm really, really excited to see where you're going.
um, I hope I can, yeah, can follow you in many of these respects. Well, thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. And I think I probably got as much out of this as you. And I hope to hear a lot from any others who are listening, because I think we're, we're all on that same journey where we're, we're seeking to learn and grow every day. I certainly am. Cool. Thank you for talking with me. Thank you. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, Follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, Join our intentional group, Purpose Seekers, from the Facebook page. Join in longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 